Well, good evening and welcome, friends, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, whether you're across town or across the globe. You know, we are just eight days away from December 21st, the date much touted uh, that's going to usher in changes. Well, you know, I've been told uh, we will get what we expect in the coming year. So if that's true, be very careful what you think because our thoughts can manifest into reality. Well, if you're new to the show, I'm your hostess, Karen Tate, and I'm the author of two books, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations, sold in all the usual places, of course, uh, but if you get it from me, you get a signed copy. And my other book, uh, Walking an Ancient Path, Rebirthing Goddess on Planet Earth, uh, which won an award in the spirituality category in the USA National Best Books, well, it tells um, how a person or a group uh, can live a goddess-inspired life. You know, it's divided into four elements and spirit. The earth section tells you about our adventures, go into sacred places around the world, the water section is about love and caring and sharing and doing ritual. The fire is about politics and passion. The air is about those whispers of inspiration from goddess. And spirit, well, that's about how a girl like me from the Bible Belt can get the calling from the sacred feminine and take her life down a path she sure never expected. Like my two guests tonight, both called by the divine to be in service in their own unique ways to their communities. And in what has become an annual tradition this time of year, we have with us foremother and pagan elder Selena Fox discussing celebrating winter solstice, including ways to create personal and group solstice rituals and traditions, viewpoints about the Mayan calendar, and lots more fun holiday-related chat. Then crossing the threshold into the second half of the show, Pastor Stacy Bourne from her church in San Francisco is going to tell us about the Goddess Mural Project uh, in San Francisco, which I'm sure will prove to be very important and exciting. And uh, that's being undertaken by their goddess church there, where they make those fantastic goddess rosaries. And we will get to Selena in just a quick minute here. Um, but first, I want to tell you about the DVD, Dancing with Gaia, by Joe Carson. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree is. When I came out of it, this is, this is my mother planet. I grew out of this earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Blood of her veins, the rivers, voice of her breath, the wind fire of her will, those erupting volcanoes, green of her hair, the rolling grass hills, strength of her spine, that's the mountain's tall backs, Persephone mood maiden, whose returning steps grant springtime once more. Those were some of the opening words from Dancing with Gaia. You heard a little bit uh, 
of a snippet there of uh, some of the DVD as well as some of the music. Dancing with Gaia is a wonderful film about the goddess, sacred sexuality, and about connecting to the earth and ways to do that. It gives you tools to connect in a very real way to the landscape and the spirit of the earth around you. It's also visually stunning. The DVD comes packaged with a youthful booklet, and it's only $20, and you get it at the website dancingwithgaia.com. Highly recommend it. I've seen it. It is really good. really helps you learn about connecting with the landscape of the goddess, both externally and internally. Also, um, you might have uh, tuned in last week to our very special show uh, to help Lane Redman in her Kickstarter program uh, called Dreaming Awake, the Gods and Goddesses of Brazil, which was an, uh, a project uh, to create an illuminated film transmitting the dance, drumming, and chants of the Orishas and their living presence in modern Brazilian culture. Well, um, I think uh, everyone is, was just uh, so excited because she reached the goal and the program has been funded. So if that kind of stuff is of interest to you, I'm sure you can find out more on her website or write to me, and I'm happy to connect you with Lane. Also, uh, a shout-out to uh, Walter. Uh, so glad you are enjoying the show, Walter. Uh, thank you so very much for keeping in touch with me. But let's not keep uh, Selena waiting any longer. Uh, Selena Fox, uh, she is the Senior Minister of Circle Sanctuary and author of the online guide, Celebrating the Seasons. We're going to talk about winter solstice celebrations across cultures and share some old and new ways of creating personal and group festivities. Well, Selena, welcome back to the show. Well, happy holidays and happy solstice time. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Selena. You know, we, we uh, listeners, we were just saying, by coincidence, it always seems like Selena comes on the show around Yule time. We're going to have to have you at Beltane next year for you that to talk like about. That sounds like a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I'm going to try to remember that, and uh, we'll have you talk about uh, something different. Uh, you know, than trying to get us in the spirit for Yule, you'll get us in the spirit for Beltane instead. Well, this year we're having the show on the night of the goddess of light, Lucina, or Santa Lucia, or Saint Lucy, as she's sometimes called. And I want to celebrate my Swedish ancestors, who, um, for Santa Lucia customs, are alive and well the Swedish solstice, uh, not only in Sweden, but in other parts of the world where people with Swedish heritage live. And why December 13th? There have been a number of calendar changes over the years. And at one point, December 13th actually was the winter solstice. So she's called Santa Lucia and is considered a depiction of a Christian saint, martyr. But when you think about it, young woman dressed in white with a red sash and a crown of candles, followed by um, characters including nature spirits, sometimes known as Nyssa or Topton, and the Yule Goat, and a variety of other characters in the entourage. 
Yes, it's within a Christian context in many places in Sweden and other parts of the world, but yet paganism is alive and well with Santa Lucia, who many people call Lucina, the goddess of light. So, Selena, so to, so tonight you're saying is uh, Lucina or Santa Lucia's um, uh, feast day uh, That's in, right. in Sweden, and 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 she sort of looks like a, a a goddess Santa Claus or a female Santa Claus. It sounds like. Well, yes, yeah, she has had gift giving connected with her. Uh, most notably, there is a particular kind of saffron bun that is served up by the oldest. Um, young woman in a household dressed in white with a red sash, candles in her hair, carrying a platter of these saffron cakes and some beverages for the parents and other household members getting up before dawn on Santa Lucia's day. And tonight, across the world, there are Santa Lucia um, concerts and celebrations with processionals. Um, often um, the Santa Lucia figure is towards the beginning of the procession, though sometimes she might be further back with some other people leading the way. Other young women dressed in white but without the candle crown in the head um, will be there and and sometimes there will be star boys. Um, so men are some young men are sometimes part of the entourage as well. And it's a joyful procession. And and is, 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 well, if this is from Sweden, is there any connection that we can make to the you know the Norse traditions, the you know pagan traditions of the Norse um, gods and goddesses, or no? Well, yes. One of the things as one starts researching winter solstice traditions and Christmas and New Year's traditions, that there is such an intermingling of imagery, symbols, customs, festivities, foods, beverages, just a whole wide range of ways to celebrate that all are kind of interwoven. So in Scandinavian countries, in addition to Santa Lucia, while more rooted in Sweden in practice, there are other places across um, Europe that are doing various solstice activities at this time of year. Solstice this year, Friday, December 21st, however... As with solstices past, solstice is celebrated on multiple days. It's a season, it's a time, it's a celebration. The Yule log, the use of greenery, the kindling of lights have been part of Scandinavian and Germanic traditions for many years. In fact, at Santa Lucia celebrations, at Christmas celebrations, at winter solstice celebrations, Good Yule, meaning happy Yule or have a great Yule, the word Yule itself is said to come um, from Scandinavia, meaning wheel. Hmm. 
Interesting. So when they say good wheel, are they talking about the wheel of the year, the journey ahead? That's right. It's looking at, some say it's the sun wheel, solstices and the equinoxes, equal arm cross, sometimes is depicted within a circle. Sometimes that wheel has eight spokes, and certainly people who are practitioners of contemporary paganism have an eight eight-spoke wheel, solstices and equinoxes that begin each of the seasons, and then the Celtic fire festivals, which are the midpoints of each season, also known as the cross-quarter days. So Yule, the wheel, it's celebrating the wheel of the sun, the wheel of the year, the turning of that wheel. And so many of the Christmas customs that are widespread across the United States and other parts of the world really began as winter solstice customs, the giving of gifts, the kindling of lights, the use of evergreens to decorate homes and offices, uh, public buildings, the public square, are those are just a few of the customs that we continue to have. And while often it's called Christmas customs, when you look at the history of Christmas as a celebration, you will recognize that Christmas actually got grafted onto ancient Roman solstice <laughs> known as Saturnalia. You know, I'm 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 listening to you and I'm thinking to myself, wow, we're really sort of celebrating a pagan holiday here that that we we've sort of attached Jesus to. And I and it made me think of um Bill O'Reilly on Fox News cuz he's always talking about the war on Christmas and we're trying to diminish Christmas. <clears throat> and you know, <laughs> somebody should send him an email and say, "You know, Bill, Christmas really is a pagan custom. <laughs> you know, I, I don't watch Fox News, but I wonder if he's ever said anything, uh, you know, to that effect. You know, if if he's ever ranted about that, because I can just I can just imagine. <laughs> There's quite a diverse a diversity of opinion regarding even how to do holiday greetings. Some of the people that are upset with the phrase happy holidays, really thinking somehow it is diminishing Christian Christmas, really are not fully informed about the history of the holidays. And I intentionally, it's not happy holiday singular, it's happy holidays plural. That is really the most inclusive term that one can use as one goes about in society and greets people that you don't really know what they may be celebrating. Because the month of December up here in the Northern Hemisphere not only has Christmas and New Year's in it, but it has winter solstice in it, St. Nicholas Day, St. Lucia's Day, the Hogmanay, which is the Scottish New Year. We've wow. got Mother's Night from Old Germany, where the Divine Feminine as three mothers was honored on that night. And how do we know that? That a monk from the Dark Ages wrote down about the traditions. And Mother's Night turned into Mother's Night, meaning going from a triple mother 
Germanic goddess tradition to Mother Mary. Now, our center, Circle Sanctuary, which has been celebrating the winter solstice in public pageants and celebrations, this will be our 34th year, has a real international, multicultural, multilingual, interfaith approach to winter solstice. At our pageant this year, which will be right on solstice night, the 21st, from 7 to 9 p.m., we hold it at the First Unitarian Society, which is the largest Unitarian church in Madison, Wisconsin. We will have a variety of costumed Yuletide characters. We'll have Santa Lucia. We'll have Santa. We'll have um, people singing a variety of different songs from different traditions. And, yes, there will be an Ave Maria honoring (laughs) Mary in the Christian tradition. We will even have a reading honoring the Iranian winter solstice called Yalda. Hmm. So, so let me ask you, when we say happy holidays, are we actually referring to holly? Um, probably it's more the holly, um, the holidays, but holly as a plant has a long association with winter solstice. Even before it became a Christmas sacred plant, it was a solstice sacred plant. In fact, we see remnants of its ancient heritage in its connection with the ancient Roman solstice celebration, Saturnalia, because the god Saturn, the god of agriculture, often was depicted with a holly wreath. Holly was used to decorate the halls in old Rome. And when you look at some of the Santa figures that are in pop culture in America and some other parts of the world, often you'll see a holly crown. Now, not only does it harken back to old Rome, but if you go to the United Kingdom and look at some old English lore, you will see that the old year passing, the old solar year, also calendar year passing, is represented by the Holly King and the new year coming in, the Oak King. Now, how does this manifest in um, pop culture today? Well, we have the Santa with Holly wreaths. Sometimes you'll get that depiction. And sometimes you'll get the new year as baby new year. And the use of acorns as holiday decorations really has its roots back in that interplay between the old solar year passing, the holly, and the new solar year coming in, the oak. The burning of the Yule log is a tradition that began in Scandinavia, but now is is very widespread. The first Yule log that I ever saw burned was actually in Washington, D.C., on the ellipse across from the White House. There was the nativity scene, there was the menorah, and there was a Yule log blazing. Haven't been back to D.C. in recent years to see if they still have the Yule log exhibit, but it it is an old, old tradition that many people keep alive. Now, what about mistletoe, Selena? Where do, where do we get that from? Is that a, It goes back to pagan roots as well? Absolutely, and actually across a number of different cultures. Now, everyone is 
heard of kissing under the mistletoe at Christmas time and solstice time? Well, that actually has its roots in that mistletoe was considered a plant of peace. And before there was really kissing under the mistletoe in the more romantic sense, people would make pledges under the mistletoe to make peace. Oh, we need some at the U.N. then. <laughs> a lot of mistletoe there <laughs> in other parts of the world. So there are legends from Scandinavia. There's legends in Druidic traditions with Celtic underpinnings. Yes, and you will find it across the Mediterranean. The most sacred of the mistletoe is that which has been harvested from an oak tree. Mistletoe is actually a parasitic plant, and it has white berries. You have to be careful of those, poisonous, but um, it, it's, we get fresh mistletoe sent to us every year from a sister center, which is down in Florida, Crohn's Cradle Conserve. And it's such a gift to have many pounds of mistletoe being shipped to us, which we um, clip into individual little amulet um, bits that we then give out to the hundreds of people that come to our winter solstice pageant in Madison, our community Yule Festival at Circle Sanctuary Nature Preserve, which is near Barnabelle, about an hour from uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And this year we're having a, a winter magic full moon right after um, winter solstice weekend. So mistletoe is for good luck. It's for peace. It's for love. It's for prosperity. A wonderful thing to hang in the house. And after you've had it up a bit, it starts turning a golden color. And that, for that reason, it's sometimes known as the golden bough. Oh, I didn't know that. All right. So, um, all right. So you've covered a lot. So this is also this is uh, you know uh, you mentioned some of the goddesses. You were, um, if, if, but you didn't mention Mithras. Mithras. It's also his uh, his holy day as well, isn't it? Around this time of year. Yes, Mithras has roots in ancient um, Middle East, um, Persia, a sun god. Born in a cave to a virgin, visited by shepherds. <laughs> Sounds uh <-huh>. familiar. <laughs> so part of the nativity story that is um, part of Christian tradition actually has some pagan correlates that predated Christianity. And uh, back in the days of the Roman Empire, the troops who served out in the Middle East found that Mithras was a form of the divine that they could relate to. There was a whole mystery tradition, a meeting in underground caves. It was like an all-male mysteries um, tradition. And it was actually quite common during the changeover in the empire from pagan to Christian that in some families, military families, the men would be worshiping Mithras and the women, um, Jesus and Mary, at, at solstice time. The Feast of the Unconquered Sun 
was part of the Saturnalia celebration, which would begin on the 17th of December and then go a number of days. The 25th of December, the time of the unconquered sun, or Sol Invictus, was Mithras' birthday. Part Part of the reason Christianity in its early years grafted the celebration of the birth of Jesus to December 25th was because that holiday was already being celebrated. And they wanted they wanted pagan converts. Well, I think part of it started, one, one bit of lore that I've heard, it started because when there was not an embracing um, of religious freedom for all <laughs> back in the Roman Empire, the, actually the Romans were pretty... Um, tolerant of people of different faiths as long as one's faith did not exclude the honoring of the emperor as a sacred form. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, Christianity um, uh, trod on that and then got persecuted. Yeah, there can only be one God. Yeah, (laughs) so during the persecution time is when the celebration of Jesus' birth got put into Saturnalia, and I think at first it was a kind of protection. That's been some of the, in some of the literature, that's been the speculation. It was moved to that time. People were already celebrating. It was a way to have a Christian celebration at the same time and not get detected that that was going to be problematic. Right. When Christianity became a state religion uh, in the Roman Empire, then it basically continued to be held at that time. It actually got fixed um, to that date, and it was a way of Christianizing the old pagan solstice. And so many of the Christian feast days were originally old pagan days, and it was a way of having people who are already celebrating at that time be able to come under the mantle of the growing Christian religion. For uh-huh. myself, I see solstice as the framework for the whole happy holidays time. And to me, it's um, not a question of do I celebrate solstice or Christmas. I celebrate them both. Well, it's a great time of diversity, you know, that that you can really sort of em- embrace uh, so many different traditions and, uh, and and enjoy it in the process. Um, well, you started saying something about uh, Holda, I think, from Iranian culture. Well, actually, yeah, one of the um, forms of the divine at this time is Holda, who actually comes from old Germany. She's an old German gift-giving Yule goddess. So before there was Santa Claus, and even, many say, before Odin and the son Thor, which actually are part of what make up Santa as a multicultural, international, multilingual, interfaith character, there was Holda, who was a knight-riding Holda, giving gifts. Now, sometimes Holda appears as a maiden with a beautiful cape of white goose feathers. And when she shakes her cape 
and the goose feathers come out, they turn into snow. So uh-huh. she's a weather goddess, kind of a snow maiden. Uh-huh. That's one of her forms. She also can take the form of the crone, riding at the head of the wild hunt, taking the souls of the dead into the other world. Mm. And she also has the mother aspect of her, she who watches over spinning and weaving and the household. And she takes a number of different forms. Sometimes her name is Holda or Hola. She is in Grimm's fairy tale and in one of the most... um, told of her tales really is a Grimm's fairy tale where two sisters have a close encounter with Hulda. One goes down a well and along the way encounters a number of things in this magical passage. There was bread that needed baking. She stopped along to do that and there were some other chores she did along the way and then she encounters Hulda. And Hoda gifts her with gold. She rises up out of the well, and she's um, rewarded for her hard work, her dedication, and her good manners. Her sister, greedy and lazy, sees this, decides to jump into the well to go and get her rewards. Well, here (laughs) lies the archetype of naughty and nice. Well, she was naughty. She didn't do any of the tasks along the way and uh, was definitely demanding by the time she got to Hulda, at which point she got covered with pitch and (laughs) was punished instead of rewarded. Uh Now, (laughs) one of the things that I found really fascinating with the tradition of Yuletide gift givers, there are female sacred forms and their male sacred forms. But this naughty and nice syndrome seems to go across cultures and across gender. So whether it's Santa with naughty and nice or Holda or Bafana, who is the Christmas witch, actually beginning her journey as an ancient pagan goddess form, you know, you're having some award and punishment action going on. It's, and I really think some of that has to do with solstice traditions of taking account of how things have been in the past solar year and projecting into the future, taking stock of oneself and, and being able to reflect on the things that didn't go so well mm-hmm. and to learn from that and to celebrate the things that were rewarding and to look for ways to have more of that come into the new year. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, now, did I mishear you? I thought you were starting to say something about um, a character uh, in, in Iran. but no. Oh, that's hear? the name of a festival. It's called Yalda, oh, Y-A-L-D-A. Okay. And it, um, we're going to actually have a... Um, a segment in our Winter Solstice pageant taking a look at this Persian or Iranian Winter Solstice Festival. Now, um, it was a religious holiday in ancient times 
now that that part of the world has had Islam rise into um, dominance as a religious form, the holiday is still continuing to be celebrated, but more as a social holiday with some of the old feasting traditions, including the serving of melons at this time of year for good luck. Oh, okay. Well, you know, speaking of Persia, um, it makes me wonder about the three wise men. Um, I read somewhere, and I don't know how accurate it was, that the three wise men were probably Persian astrologers. I've heard that as well. Yes, the Magi. Yeah. Um, And, yes, many people see that they were skilled not only in the science of astronomy but astrology and that they were kings but if one looks at the biblical accounts about the magi their number is not mentioned nor is their gender and one of the things that i have a good time um kind of reflecting on and talking about with folks as we explore christmas and solstice customs well, maybe there were more than three wise men, and maybe there were some wise women as well <laughs> as wise men. And I know that I'm not the only one to speculate here. In fact, one of the wonderful things about solstice and Christmas time, the storytelling, the artwork, the songs, the lore. Yes, there's some traditional lore, but people are changing it up and bringing it into the contemporary age. And I've seen some illustrations in which those who are visiting the Christ child are not all men. Mm, okay. Which I think is kind of an interesting thing that maybe there were we three queens. <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. Well, now tell us a little bit about the sun goddesses around this time. I think you you might have touched on some sun deities a little bit, but uh, was, was there more to be said about some of the sun goddesses? Oh, yes. You know, in addition to Lucina, who actually is the goddess of childbirth and light in ancient Rome, and Lucia who has been intertwined with her, the Christian saint who was born in Sicily, but the practice very much came into its present form in Sweden. You have within parts of Europe, especially in the Baltic areas, the the sun was honored as a goddess rather than a god. One of the Other parts of the world where we have a sun goddess connected with winter solstice is Japan, Amaterasu. And I've had the honor and the privilege of taking part in some Shinto ceremonies as part of my travels for international interreligious conferences and actually do some holiday card exchanges with uh, some a Shinto priest who is a hereditary priest 
one of the branches of Shintoism in, in Japan. Well, that's and, quite something because they're pretty patriarchal, aren't they? I mean, I think it's only the the prime minister and the high priest of the Shinto that's allowed in the Holy of Holies to see that mirror of Amaterasu, something like that. I'm, I'm pulling this from the back recesses of my memories. <laughs> good, good memories, yeah. Well, in part of it is somewhat ironic because the supreme deity is Amaterasu, is the sun goddess. And, and yes, within um, her ministries those who who um, lead the worship are men and you'll find that in some other parts of the world in some other religions and um, Amaterasu um, was connected with a cave in the lore and you mentioned the mirror and not only is winter solstice an important holiday but connected with that is the change in the calendar year. For myself, I celebrate not only the new solar year at this time of year, but I actually see that the New Year's Eve and New Year's Day celebrations is actually a time-release solstice because a lot of those old solstice traditions of letting go of the old and bringing in the new, the time of renewal, of hope and peace, that's certainly part of many people's New Year's celebrations. Um, I enjoy watching some coverage on the Internet and on television and, and other forms of media to see how the new calendar year is brought into um, being with celebrations from around the world. So how do they do it? What sort of, you know, enactments or symbols do they use to show that rebirth? Well, whether it's actually Solstice Eve going into Solstice or Christmas Eve going into Christmas or New Year's Eve going into New Year's, there generally is the making of some racket to drive away the old and some cheering, some making of resolutions for what is coming in. The use of light. Fireworks um, is a very common way that urban areas around the world welcome in the new calendar year. But before even fireworks were in vogue, the bonfire. And the holiday Hogmanay, which I mentioned before, from Old Scotland, has been celebrated for many, many years. Most people don't know the holiday Hogmanay, but they know its theme song because All Lang Syne, traditional melody, words by Robert Burns, the Scottish bard, has now made its way into New Year's celebrations, not only across the U.S., but around the world. And that originally began as a Hogmanay song. Hmm. So, well, so really, if someone wanted to do their own um, New Year's, you know, maybe they're, you know, maybe they're solitary, maybe they don't like the holidays and all the festivities, you know, they could sort, or or not, maybe it's just a, a quiet family thing they do mm -hmm. together. They they could just, uh, you know, use a use a pot or a cauldron or something, and and maybe, um, you know, we do this in in ritual a lot, but it's sort of that idea where you 
Maybe you can write stuff on paper that no mm-hmm. longer serves you and burn it in your pot or cauldron or fireplace. And and that sort of uh, puts the old year behind you so that you can start anew uh, the, the, you know, the next year, the next day. Uh, you know, whenever you're, you're uh, celebrating your rebirth, your renewal. That's right. Um, I put together something called the Winter Solstice Celebration for Families and Households a number of years ago um, for some people in the local area who really wanted to add solstice celebrations to their holidays festivities. So in addition to celebrating Christmas and New Year's, they really wanted to start bringing in winter solstice. And so I've listed a number of suggestions that people can do for their own personal ceremonies, for ceremonies with their family members, their household, or larger communities. And I'd like to just share a few of these. Oh, um, one, one is a very simple thing to do, which is to get an evergreen wreath from fresh evergreens or um, what I call the symbolic evergreens, ones that... Um, it can last from year to year. By putting a wreath on one's door, it not only is an ancient festive way of decorating for the season, but it represents the circle of life and of nature. I begin my celebration of winter solstice, and I actually celebrate it over the course of several weeks by putting the Yule wreath on the door and going out and getting a Yule tree from a um, a tree farm do, engaged in sustainable agricultural practices. Having a feast. Feasting has been celebrating uh, the seasons for many, many generations. And getting some family foods that are favorites and some beverages, doing some kind of prayer of Thanksgiving and connection, uh, having people all share something they're thankful for around the table as one's feasting or sharing a a memory of a past Yuletide experience. So it's a way of creating community with others. If one is on oneself, uh, by oneself, being able to kindle a candle and inviting the ancestors to come and dine and remembering Um, those friends that aren't physically present and family members. So even if one's doing a celebration, a feast on one's own, you can spiritually invite others that you wish to have present to be present. Using candles, and one of the things that I like to do at this time of year is the kindling of the Yuletide light. So this involves that there's going to be several people all taking part in this. You get candles available. You have a lighter and a central candle, and everybody gets a taper candle. You turn the lights off. You meditate on the darkness. We're going into the darkness that is the fertile womb of possibility. It's embracing the longest night of the year. And then as one starts reflecting on renewal, on light and hope and joy and peace. Whoever's facilitating will kindle a candle, the main candle, 
kindle a taper from that and start passing the light to the person on their left. That person kindles the candle, the person on their left, and you have this wonderful sharing of the light. And as the light gradually gets brighter, as more and more candles are lit, it creates a very beautiful, magical glow. Now, sometimes um, one will do a song as one is kindling the light. Sometimes one will say uh, a wish or a prayer or a blessing. And the idea of kindling the lights, sharing the lights, um, really a wonderful tradition. It now, when you about, say kindle, are you, or do you just mean to light it when yes, you say to the kindle? Light, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, uh, Selena, let me ask you. Uh, sometimes you hear around this time of year people, I think, um, have something called, um, is it a dumb supper? Um, at Samhain time, that's very common, where okay. people sit quietly to commune with ancestors. But some people who wish to honor ancestors will have some type of tradition at winter solstice time in addition or instead. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, and and part of it depends on what particular spiritual path one is practicing. Uh, there's a lot of uh, variation within the nature religions realm and then within that the different pagan realms. Some who are uh, practicing a form of Scandinavian or Germanic paganism, often known as heathen um, traditions, will celebrate the solstices and the equinoxes as their main holiday times. Some people in Celtic traditions will celebrate the four Celtic festivals, which are the midpoints of the seasons, as their main holiday times. Though many pagans will celebrate all eight of the festivals um, in the wheel of the year. And one of the variations that can happen at Yuletide is to really import not only one's ancestral heritage traditions into the holiday, but to learn about the particular area of the world where they're living and what are the holidays that have been practiced there. Now, Circle Sanctuary Nature Preserve is near Barneveld, Wisconsin, west of Madison, Wisconsin, and um, near the little village of Mount Horeb, which has a very strong Scandinavian um, basis because of the people that settled there. There were also people who were Celtic that settled there, but uh, it's more predominantly Scandinavian, in particular Norwegian. What's really amazing is to uh, go into the local village and not only to see the wonderful decorations, the greenery and the lights and whatever, but um, to sample some of the wonderful foods that come from Scandinavia. And um, there's a whole variety of different holiday open houses and that type of thing. So just by virtue of us living near an area that's um, keeping alive old Scandinavian traditions, we have that kind of hardwired into our own personal celebrations. Okay. Well, well, you know, we're we're uh, probably starting to get a little short on time. And uh, before you go, I wanted to find out um, your views on the winter solstice and how it's connected to the the Mayan calendar. And you know, everybody's talking about uh, this 
this 21st of December like no other. So, Well, I had an opportunity to talk with Mayan elders directly about this back in 2004. And what I learned through translators, because English was not their first language, um, but they knew some Spanish in addition to their native tongue. So we, I was in Barcelona, Spain, for the Parliament of the World's Religions and, and had a chance to, to talk about a variety of different things, but in particular talking about prophecies and predictions. From my own direct experience with talking with elders, the view is that this is a change in cycles, not a doomsday. That's my understanding of what they talked about. And I know that there's a variety of different interpretations about this cycle that is ending at midnight on December 21st. Uh, my own approach and Circle Sanctuary's approach has been to see this not only as the beginning of winter, but to pay respects for the ancient Mayan culture of the past and those people that are carrying on its tradition in the present by acknowledging the themes of renewal that not only are part of winter solstice celebrations every year, but in particular this particular cultural um, connection with the holiday. How we're um, addressing that in our winter solstice pageant is that the adopted son of one of our longtime community members is Mayan. He was born in Guatemala and has Mayan ancestry. And we have a younger generation who is going to be doing a blessing upon the world right before the world peace meditation that I lead every year. And our way of going into this Mayan calendar changeover, winter solstice, is to actually celebrate diversity on the planet, honor old traditions, and to look ahead with hope, renewal, and peace. Sounds like a good plan. <laughs> so, Selena, um, tell us, uh, tell listeners more about where they can um, get uh, that information, your resources about winter solstice and your planning guide. Yes, if you go to www.circlesanctuary.org, on our main page of the website, you will see a panel, Lauren Rituals, a Selena Fox Planning Guide for Winter Solstice. Click right on that, and it will take you to a page that has words to solstice chants that I've created over the years. It has a whole variety of articles that I've put together, not only that planning guide, but I have another um, uh, article, 13 Ways to Celebrate Yuletide. I have a Saturnalia poem. I have a whole variety of different things. I also all month long have been doing shows on my Tuesday night Circle Craft study show, also on Blog Talk Radio, um, about Yuletide. And I'm doing a winter solstice ceremony next Tuesday. 
which um, everyone is welcome to tune into. It'll be 8 to 9 Central, and also on Blog Talk Radio. You go to Blog Talk Radio slash Witch School, and you'll see Circle Craft Study. I have podcasts at the Circle Sanctuary website, and I actually, this year, it just went up this morning for Lucina's Day, um, recordings of the chants, some of the chants that I have the words for. And I have a variety of different things. And for those of you who are on Facebook, you can go to the facebook.com slash Selena Fox updates. And if you go to my main Facebook page, like the page, and then you'll get to see all sorts of photos and lore and links, not only things that I've created and found, but I've, um, I've, today I put up a link to the Lucina chant that my friend Ruth Barrett recorded a number of years ago. And so what I'm endeavoring to do is bring together a lot of resources that can be used in planning personal and group celebrations of winter solstice. In these happy holiday times, we want to honor all the holidays and want to make sure that winter solstice, the real reason for the season, for that has been celebrated longer than any of the other December holidays, really doesn't get lost in the hustle bustle of the holiday season. I think that if more people understood that winter solstice is an ancient sacred time that is also appropriate to weave into one's life regardless of what one's spirituality or philosophy is, not only to celebrate the beginning of winter, but it's a time to really pay attention to our connection with the greater circle of nature of which we are a part. A real key to winter solstice is that of peace. And I really hope all of our listeners, as we go into this happy holidays time, however you celebrate it and whatever holiday you celebrate during that, may you have peace within and peace around. And if you want to do a simple chant, solstice sun, shining bright. Shortest day, longest night. Solstice wish of hope and cheer. Peace on earth throughout the year. Mm, that's lovely. Now, Celine, you're always so generous with your teaching. I mean, I remember when I first got started a couple decades ago, it was, uh, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, it was through Circle Sanctuary that uh, that I first got inspired to start, you know, writing my travel stories. And uh, you guys there, uh, you know, sort of gave me an opening to do that. And uh, who knows, you know, it, 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 if you hadn't done that, I might not have gone on to do some of the things I've done. And, you know, I've always appreciated, you know, your your support and your generosity generosity and you just you know you just keep doing it on and on <laughs> for you know it, it it's like you uh you're you, you just have a boundless energy <laughs> well i am very thankful to be on your show i'm thankful that this show exists i really do think that it's important as we look at the realm of spiritual life that we celebrate that divine feminine and so whether you are going to be celebrating Holda or Amaterasu, 
the mothers. Ops, we get opulent from her name, partner to Saturn. Yeah, she had a whole festival at this time called Ophelia. Or the fauna. I mean, those are some of the forms of the divine, um, divine feminine at this time of year, as well as Mary, of course, mm-hmm. Isis. Um, all those goddess forms that are connected with winter solstice, we want to honor them and celebrate them, and we want to um, celebrate you and all that you are doing at this time of year because, you know, Yuletide is also a time not only for giving but for giving thanks to those who give year-round. And clearly your books have been a treasure and you and your program have been just a wonderful source of information and inspiration. And I just really also want to return um, the appreciation for our connection with each other and the work that you are doing. It's Um, been great coming back and being on your show. And I wish everyone a wonderful, happy holidays season, a good solstice, a happy new year, a happy Christmas, a good Mother's Night, a happy Santa Santa Lucia Day, and all the other (laughs) festivals that might be celebrated whether it's Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or even Festivus. Um, There's many different holidays at this time of year. Yo, Saturnalia, happy solstice, happy new year, Merry Christmas, happy holidays. You are nothing if not inclusive, uh, Selena Fox. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this. This is Selena Fox. She is a priestess, psychotherapist, environmentalist, writer, teacher. She is the senior minister of Circle Sanctuary, a pagan church which, which serves nature, religion, practitioners worldwide. She's been facilitating winter solstice rituals and meditations for more than 40 years. She's the author of the popular online guide, Celebrating the Seasons, and that is just a small tip of the iceberg of who this Selena Fox really is. It is this lady and all of her group that actually got the uh, the state. It was at the State Department to put um, pentagrams. U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Veterans Affairs to get put pentagrams on pagan soldiers' graves. You know, this is the kind of stuff they do there at Circle Sanctuary, the Lady Liberty League, making sure, you know, pagans aren't discriminated against. Um, you know, this this lady's got a lot of stuff going. She has contributed so much to the pagan community, and we thank you. We thank you, Selena. Well, it's a pleasure being here tonight. And, yes, those who want to connect can connect with me online at the Circle Sanctuary page or my Facebook page or even on Twitter. Yes, I'm on Twitter. You're on and Twitter now. <laughs> Twitter this show. <laughs> okay. And may you have just wonderful holidays by whatever name you call them and however you celebrate. And may we, of all of our diversity, find ways to not only be in good relation with each other, but that larger circle of nature of which we are a part. There we go. Nice way to close. Thank you, Selena, so much. And I'm going to hold you to having you come on um, at Beltane. Uh, in, in 2013. That will be fun. We can talk about flower goddesses and dance in the maypole and all sorts of other 
fun things. Okay, sounds great. Have a have a wonderful holiday, and uh, hope your pageant is great. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Good night. Good Be night. Well. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, if you're one of my regular listeners, you know what that sound means. We are crossing the threshold uh, into the second part of the show. Uh, I also want to uh, to please remind you uh, about the two Fs right there on my show page. Click uh, the first F for the follow button so you get news of who's on the show each week without having to rely on getting reminder emails from me. And please, I invite you to click on the friend button as well and become a friend of the show. That way you will be a part of the international Voices of the Sacred Feminine Family. And remember, you can catch any show from the archives, and uh, you can listen via iTunes as well. Uh, and if you like, you can call in at 718-766-4662. And when I get to a natural stopping point in the conversation, I'll take your calls. But I realize most of my thousands and thousands of listeners uh, mostly catch me from the archives, so that doesn't happen too often. But uh, next up, uh, we have an awesome guest, our uh, our second um, divine woman on the show tonight, and it is uh, she is Pastor Stacy Bourne, and uh, she runs uh, her church uh, in San Francisco. And I want to say hi, Pastor Stacy. How are you? Good. I'm here. Well, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Let me just tell listeners a little bit about you, and then we're going to talk about this wonderful Goddess Mural Project uh, that you have going. Um, well, listeners, if uh, you don't remember Reverend Stacy, she is the pastor and priestess of uh, Ritual at her church, the Purple Church in San Francisco. Uh, Stacy is minister in the Lutheran Church and is celebrating her 25th anniversary of ordination uh, on December 20th, 2012. Uh, primary to her ministry is the empowerment of women and people who uh, have too often been pushed to the margins, the rebirthing and reemergence of the goddess in Christianity and other traditionally patriarchal religions essential to the prophetic word and wisdom of the ministry and ritual at her church, which seeks to help us return to honoring the earth and recreating egalitarian community. Goddess Rosary Rituals, the annual Her Conference, and Spirituality for Girls are just some of the programs that Stacy has initiated. She's also a wonderful photographer and the co-founder of A Woman's Eye Gallery and offers classes and presentations in visual spirituality. Their website is herchurch.org, and Stacy believes, quote, that the goddess needs to be made known within patriarchal traditions because millions of women and tender-hearted men in those systems are yearning for her. Since they or we continue to find something we love in our religious traditions, we are not likely to exit or matriculate out to the goddess without some signs from within. Well, Stacy, welcome to the show. Welcome back. Well, thank you, and it's good to be back, and it's good to follow Selena, who has made me very joyous in listening to uh, her this evening. Yeah, how can you not get in the holiday spirit when she reminds you of uh, you know all of these all of this wonderful diversity all around us that we can all be celebrating, huh? Absolutely. So I was just so, my curiosity was so piqued 
Stacy, when I heard about this goddess mural uh, for San Francisco. I mean, you already have this awesome purple church that sort of sits up on its perch, you know, on, on sort of an elevated place for all to see. At least that's how I'm remembering it in my mind. And mm-hmm. and now you're you're going to have a beautiful goddess mural. Is it going to be on side of the church? Well, it is. If you remember, we ha- are fortunate to be on a hill um, in the shadow of the Twin Peaks. Um, we have a steeple, or it's actually a tower because it's very boxy, that's 64 feet high and 16, four, 16 feet wide. So uh, it's lovely purple now, but we had the opportunity a few years ago to be introduced to an artist uh, and have some of her work in our sanctuary that helps us celebrate the Divine Feminine. And we were sitting around with her, and she looked at our building and said, uh, have you ever thought about a mural? And uh, we actually responded that we have, but uh, the the few starts didn't really get us into the direction that we wanted to go to celebrate uh, the Divine Feminine. And so after a conversation with her, she, her name is Sybil Erden, uh, she lived in San Francisco for many years uh, and now has her studio in Arizona. And uh, she came and conversed with us and got a sense of where we were going with our uh, attempt to, um, from within patriarchal <laughs> religion here, um, to break open again our hearts to the Divine Feminine and um, listen to our songs and to our stories and then came up with a prototype painting um, and we, we looked at that for a while and then uh, said this is what we need to do because um, we very much um, are remembering words like um, Cynthia Eller has in her book, um, Living in the Lap of the Goddess, where she says something like, while words communicate, they also constrain. And so we know how important um, art is. It's, it's reforming and liberating and comforting as well as challenging. So we thought, well, you know, purple does one thing. It, it's just that we're somehow connected to the divine feminine and the women's movement and the empowerment of women and bringing back uh, the, the divine feminine. Uh, but what more can um, symbols out there uh, be available that would help do that? And so this is how we started the project, which we simply just call the Goddess Mural Project. Well, you know, I'm just, you know, thinking um, how incredible uh, it will be to have this huge image of goddess high atop a hill. I mean, for all to see, I mean, what an incredible statement that is. I mean, it's just awesome. (laughs) It it is quite awesome. And then um, if you have looked at, and people can do it on our our website, the the prototype of uh, the, the mural, and also we have a little introductory um, with music that some of our, our members put together uh, about the mural and to see the progress so far. And uh, so uh, to try and help listeners envision this, that, you know, it's very tall and very slender. And so, you know, you can't just put like one figure there, you know, because that, that would look kind of strange. And so we had to, with the artist's 
vision narrow it down to some things. And so from the bottom grows out of the ocean, the womb of the ocean and the lotus flower. There's a lovely Gaia-like figure, uh, uh, the, the mother of us all type of thing. And, and she's pregnant and in her belly you can see the formation of the earth and she's bare-breasted and I tell you, the old Swedes, speak of Swedes, you know, uh, I listened to the last segment. It's kind of funny that uh, this congregation used to celebrate Santa Lucia Day, um, but we couldn't get them to progress from that into the light of the goddess. So that's gone by the wayside. So that's funny. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> so we have this wonderful, you know, starting figure at, at the bottom, and then the next figure that we chose um, and the artists uh, created for us, actually, she chose from our conversation is a black Madonna. Um, and she's surrounded or will be surrounded by all these beautiful animals of the world and and uh, fauna and flora stuff. And then above that is a, um, a Christ Sophia uh, figure um, trying to build on part of our our tradition that's worth saving, the, the wisdom imagery um, that became a victim of patriarchy, unfortunately. But um, she is uh, there with her wisdom holding um, the goddess Wollendorf, as if to say, here I am, see me from ancient times. Uh, and then above her is this um, multi-armed, almost collie-like uh, translucent figure with the chakras going up the figure and then uh, out from her into the universe. There's the, the phases of the moon, the mother, uh, the maiden, the mother, and the crow, and so forth. And, um, and brilliant colors. So we have been in conversation with people in San Francisco who do murals and are, you know, unfortunately we're in a part of the world that loves murals and loves color and, and things like that. So I don't think we'll get too much, too much, too much resistance uh, when it, it's finally on the building. Oh, I, I doubt that. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit, Stacy, about, um, you know, I, I mean, I know a lot of women who found the goddess through art. You know, talk about how, you know, how art is such a transformative medium. Well, it is in a variety of ways. Um, we we have women here and uh, collage groups and so forth that just work with their hands, and they're not, they would not identify themselves as artists, uh, which I think we all are, because we all are, uh, that's part of our right side of our, our, our brain and all that we are. Uh, a part of all that we are, um, but in the doing of the art and in the, the scene, the symbols and so forth, of course it's always been, been there, it's just depending on whose symbols get to be dominant uh, or, or forced upon us. And so as far, and, and uniting it and, and with music and various other aspects like the drumming circle and so forth. And, and so instead of, instead of telling the story, you see story and you enter into the story through your your body and your emotions and your your visualizations and so it's a, a different way of of communicating that uh, can break us free from things that kind of oppress and, and and keep us down. I think that's been important. Well, and and you said before too. I think you were quoting Cynthia Eller, and and you sort of alluded to the fact that you know words, while they are informative, words can be restrictive where art 
oh, you know, like that old saying, a picture is worth a thousand words. You know, Absolutely. art it, it, art can say so much more and speak to us in a way that maybe language um, can fail us sometimes. Well, absolutely, and it speaks beyond words. And 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 Christian tradition, which I am a part of, has unfortunately restricted us in our art forms uh, because it's been so male-dominant, and that's not been helpful either. Um, and so to have art forms that show the human female body in all her parts and her nakedness and her loveliness and uh, her oldness as well as her youth, you know, is not only about the, the, the sacred beyond us, it's about the sacred within us. And uh, art tends to be able to do that more so than words. And I, and I think our love for, for goddess traditions is that there's, there's no definitive doctrine or dogma type of thing and in fact uh, the less you say the more you understand or the more you encounter I shouldn't say understand the more you seem to encounter the sacredness of the goddess and her right. green well, for my listeners who don't know about her church, and I highly recommend you, you know, after the show, not now, after the show, um, you Google um, or go to the website uh, herchurch.org, uh, all in all in lowercase, um, and and just uh, take a look at what you see there. Um, I mean, it's just a feast on so many levels. Uh, I mean, to to go into a Christian church and see all of this female imagery um wow how prog- how progressive and beautiful uh is is that uh, and um but yet you still you have the, you do these wonderful goddess rosaries uh your your you you know your um your sunday services uh or or you know christ sophia oriented you know the liturgy is inclusive you know of the sacred feminine uh, my memory of it was it's sort of in a circular kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, right. um, you know, as opposed to, you know, your typical church, you know, where you have the, you know, priest at the head and everybody else, you know, in the pew, um, you know, and, and, and you're doing, you know, drumming now, too, as an important part of the ritual. Oh, absolutely. This has really kind of grown right out of the community. And I mean, if, um, um, Redman, I believe that's the woman who wrote the book When the Drummers Were Women. If she hadn't written the book, this community could could do it as well. Um, we actually have a drumming priestess uh, who helps um, the community do some ritual. Um, there are other days when it's just a women's circle drumming, and there's a different kind of power in that. But Sunday morning is 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 men and women and children and people of various ages and cultures and and the drumming time within the um ritual is a very liberating freeing and empowering moment i mean it's our drumming priestess calls it for example uh when she drums it's like morse code to the universe uh, uh getting in touch with the sacred again it's an art form without having to use words and it it begins very much like our very own heartbeat uh, that type of uh, drumming. Well, I, you know, I think you're doing cutting edge stuff there at at this church because again, we have to remember this is a Christian church, and right. uh, if if people followed your lead, you know, instead of you know there being an exodus 
<laughs> you know, uh, from Christianity. You know, there might be more people that would, you know, would find more love and inclusivity there. Um, and, and well, and I actually just had Lane on the show recently. She was doing a Kickstarter program to try to get funds for this film about the Orishas and uh, Ken mm. Doble and the music. Uh, and drumming of Brazil, and she was talking about how primal the drumming is. You know, it's like, you know, when you're in the womb, the first sound you mm-hmm. hear is that heartbeat. And mm-hmm. then, you know, and then that drumming is, is just uh, sort of recreates that. Uh, I mm-hmm. know myself personally, some of those powerful rituals I've been in, you know, have included that you know that uh you know that the the drumming and it's um it it's it's uh i i i guess the word i want to say is almost transcendental i mean it takes you it takes you other places i think when you're in ritual with drumming you know it you sort of get outside of yourself well it does and i think that's probably why it was kind of cast out of various religious traditions especially uh the christian tradition after the 5th century because you know the priests couldn't be in control <laughs> if right the, if, the, if the women and the and the men were drumming uh, they've gone that way they can't be uh, bothered with uh dogma <laughs> so, right right well uh, yeah cuz i mean they would they would really be irrelevant wouldn't they as you know if they could mm-hmm. if they could keep people convinced that you know the only way to to deity or god is through them um i mean that's what they needed the people to believe and once people felt this they would know that wasn't true right Right, and then you uh, used my uh, quotes there, and I am still uh, very much a part of the Christian tradition, and we choose to do that here, and I do as well, um, because as I've, I've mentioned, you know, there are millions of men and women globally um, that are in the patriarchal religions, and there's something that keeps them there. Either it's the oppressive control, and that's a lot of it, but it's also some people find things there that uh, give them hope and comfort and so forth. And I think they need to find within their tradition the the signals that show them beyond that to the divine feminine. And I don't think they're going to hear it if they're already, it, many people, if they're already in those patriarchal traditions and are not ready or willing to leave them. So uh, we think we need churches like her church, uh, perfect sure. churches with huge murals of the goddess, because now we we get um, people um, from Colorado and Arizona and North Carolina who live in communities where they've only known their their Christian church, and they see another Christian church doing what they've been yearning for, which gives them an idea that there's something good about the divine feminine. Right, right. They they might not have been able to pursue that had not they seen something happening within something they're already familiar with. So I'm of the belief we need people on the outside of patriarchal religion and within it to bring about the the change in in cycles or the shift back to the divine feminine. Right, right. I, I I was just having a conversation with Jeanette Clancy. She's another... A uh, person, uh, you know, in in you know in that this sort of group we're talking about, she stays. She's going to be on the show next week, and mm. our topic is the consequences of sexist God talk. 
And Mm -hmm. she's a a firm believer that she has to stay within the church and try to shed light on these things to help change it. You know, just I I think of Jan Aldridge Clanton, too, you know, and and some some folks she has pointed me to. We've had a lot of wonderful progressive Christians uh, on the show, uh, you know, talking about this. And, you know, in a way, uh, not only can you help change things from within, um, but, you know, maybe you bring other people along, you know, who maybe mm-hmm. been in that bubble, and you can kind of help burst that bubble to show them how expansive it could really be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so I think, I think with, five, with a, a mural 60 feet, 64 feet high is going to do something about that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, well, getting back to the mural, um, so how and when is the mural going to be installed? Well, as I mentioned, Sybil Erden, our artist, is um, living and working in Arizona. So we have this kind of neat thing um, going on. So instead of uh, painting it directly onto the tower, um, which would mean you'd have to have scaffolding up for several years or a long time because this is a huge undertaking. So instead of doing that, we have chosen to work with her in a way where she paints panels each four feet tall by eight feet long. And then these panels all get eventually pieced together. She's built an outdoor studio um, where she works, where she can have four of these panels together at one time. And we were really excited at our last Faith and Feminism conference. Actually, we call it her conference now, the first weekend in November, where she brought um, the first... 10 panels, the first 10 pieces, and to take them off the truck and to have our drummers there drumming as these pieces came off and then place them all uh, on the ground together. Um, In fact, she had not seen all 10 pieces together yet. She had had, you know, four at a time, and to have all those pieces placed together, and it just, you want to talk about something that's moving to, to see this happen. So we are not going to install section by section, there are basically four sections um, for imageries. Uh, we're going to wait till they're all done. And so we're thinking maybe they're still like two years out. Um, and then our contractor will help us kind of reshape the side of the building just a little bit so that we can hang them all at one time and the whole thing will go from no mural to a huge mural. You know, it's like this. Well, (laughs) so that day when this mural goes up, I mean, I'm sure it'll be a process, but is it going to be something that the whole community is going to be able to come witness? I mean, I hope you're going to get TV coverage and everything, right? (laughs) We're going to work towards that. Two years in a so to work towards that, to have artists and dancers. We're hoping that maybe even we'll have the street blocked off, you know, and uh, have a huge party out there and representatives of a variety of places. And and our and our, uh, our patrons who will uh, be paying for this. Now, the wonderful thing is, is the artist is donating her time, and we just need to raise like $40,000 for uh, the materials, the supplies, the paints, the installation, which will be the biggest cost, you know, and transportation and all about that type of thing. And so it's really been a goddess blessing to have an artist say, yeah, yeah, I'll work for three years 
for you because <laughs> I love the goddess. You know? <laughs> so now, so now, um, how can people donate to this? Well, you can look on our website at herchurch.org, and there's a page that talks about that. We had a little online uh, campaign, but that's completed. Um, but the website uh, gives you information on where to send money if you wish to do that. And hopefully there will be a few more people out there who want to, like, purchase a whole panel. And that's what we're doing is kind of neat. There will be 32 of these panels, as I mentioned, and then there will be this wonderful bronze plaque outside to talk about the persons that provided the funding to make that happen. So for hopefully hundreds of years to come, you know, she'll be out there in all her glory and those people that had the foresight to say, yeah, this ought to be here. Will be part of that that herstory. Yeah. So, um, it, all right. So now uh, you can go go to the Her Church website to find out where to donate. Now, you know, Stacy, I'm thinking if you know what a you know what a wonderful idea to uh, instead of you know going to Target or Macy's or someplace mm-hmm. and buying buying your friend a bottle of perfume. Uh, or I don't know a candle or a book. Why not donate in your friend's name to help this mural become reality? I mean that would be a wonderful way to um, to not only help uh, her church in the mural, but then um, you know the, the person that you're gifting can become part of this incredible process. Oh, absolutely! And anyone who makes a donation or a donation in another person's name receives something that shows them the mural. I mean, obviously, the larger the donation, the larger the gift, for example. I guess we shouldn't sure. put it that way. But, um, you know, if a person is giving, like, $500, they're going to receive a, a huge print of a portion of the mural signed by the artist. So this will become an important uh, limited piece of art that uh, will be hopefully valuable at some point, even beyond the gift that the person made. So uh, there's lots of ways to to get connected. Okay, so so you're you're thinking by this time in what 2014 maybe it's going to be ready to go? Yeah, we're hoping the fall of 2014. We're expecting uh, in the spring of tw- of this coming year um, the uh, panel that has the uh, Christ Sophia holding the Goddess of Wollendorf in her hands will be finished. Uh, I think the artist is calling her the Chrysophia of the birds because uh, <laughs> she runs a a, uh, a sanctuary for birds and she's going to have a lot of them flying around. So that will be in the painting as well. And then uh, a year from now, the um, segments of the uh, Black Madonna and then the following year, which would be the fall of uh, 2014, uh, the final portion, the bottom portion with the Gaia Mother of Us All, uh, which is also a large part of, of the mural with more details. As you get closer to the ground, I've learned a lot about art in, in this process. As you get closer to the ground, obviously you have to have more details because people will, will see these things eye level, but way up at the top, not quite as much detail, but you have to have things big, you know. So, right, so, makes so sense. As, as, as she works her way down the mural, it actually will then take a little more time to do each panel because more detail has to be worked into it. 
Well, and remember, listeners, you can see this mural that we're that mm-hmm. you know if you go to the Her Church website, so you don't just have to imagine it in your mind. You know, I'm I'm wondering, Stacy, are you kind of trying to coincide the 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 you know the, it being finished for uh, with the Her Church conference uh, right. in 2014? That's exactly it. Yes. Yes, oh, we well, that would run, be... yeah, we usually run the Her Conference in the fall. Oh, we always have so far in November. So we're hoping that uh, prior to November the installation will begin so that it can be unveiled during that uh, conference process, which oh, is really a festival time. You know, it's not just that you know sit there and uh, be bored. You know, as you know, you've been a part of uh, one or more of our conferences, and it's quite lively. Uh, lots of things happening. Oh, they're and wonderful. So to, so to add that, the unveiling of uh, the mural, I think it's just an added plus. Absolutely. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking of myself that may give me perfect incentive to get back to one of your conferences. <laughs> yeah, we just will have to put you on the schedule for one of the workshops or keynotes or you can dance naked in the street if you like to celebrate the mural. It's <laughs> so, your pleasure. Well, well that, it seems like a perfect segue for you to put a plug in for the conferences. Why don't you tell listeners a little bit about the Her Church, the Her Conferences? Well, we just completed our sixth annual HER conference, and what we do is we try to bring different voices of uh, feminist spirituality um, to the table where there's one or two keynote speakers and several workshop leaders. This year, um, Dr. Chung, who is uh, from Union Seminary in New York and also working in in Korea um, very much with... uh, Korean women's uh, spirituality, quite a rabble rouser, if I do say so myself. She's just a wonderful <laughs> person. And then we had um, uh, Reverend Robin Hartwick this year. She uh, is with Eco Faith Recovery, which talks about how faith traditions also get us addicted to uh, capitalism and greed and all kinds of things that are not good for the earth and so forth. So we often have speakers like that. Um, uh, Gerald Crest was here one year, Margaret Starbird, um, and, and so uh, the year before uh, was all about uh, Our Lady Guadalupe. So it's a place where um, multiple traditions can come together because they respect and want to connect with the divine feminine and voices be heard from various cultures as well and to celebrate that. Um, and is it for men and women? It's for men and women. We get primarily women because I think men don't, uh, because it says a, a feminist conference and all, and we explain to them. And, and we have men come, but, uh, if we, you know, if they don't, tends, that's okay, too. But if they do, that's great. Yeah, it tends to be primarily women. Um, well, Stacy, is there anything that I haven't asked you um, that you want to share with listeners about the mural or the conferences or anything going on over there at her church? Well, we have a couple of things. Well, first, um, with the mural, one of the things that, um, as is obvious already, that we're pretty convinced that um, imagery is important. We saw that before the beginning of the patriarchal um, stuff in the last 5,000 years, how 
how uh, the language of the goddess, as Maria Gambuda has pointed out, has all these wonderful pictures. And we've been uh, doing some thought process, um, and I think one of the things we've looked at is well, this wonderful little book, The Alphabet Versus the Goddess. I don't know if you know this by Leonard Schlein. Mm-hmm. He was a, um, a neurological doctor here in San Francisco, but um seems pretty convincing to me. Um, once the uh, left side of the brain got to, uh, to be more dominant than the right, with literacy coming into its play, that that <laughs> had a sharpness that wasn't very good for, for the goddess. And so that's one of the things about the mural, that we're, we're reminded that the more imagery and art we have, the more stimulation of the right side of the brain, you know, all that kind of stuff, um, the, the more uh, of that in our liturgical life and, and daily life. We're hoping that that helps bring about um, the shift back to the divine feminine. Yeah, Certainly. and it reminds us that, you know, because we um, neglect that right side of the brain, we're out of balance. So mm-hmm, you know this mm-hmm. sort of sort of helps bring us a bit more uh, into balance, so we're not just so you know functioning just on the left brain so much. Right, right. And so along the same lines, then we're doing some exciting things around the study of Mary Magdalene, which we do all the time. But uh, this is a uh, an, a time when we're doing a little more because here in San Francisco in June it will be the premiere of the opera. Uh, the Gospel of Mary Magdala, uh, oh. uh, written by Mark Adamo and, and orchestrated by him. Uh, he's used the study the Gnostic writings and the Gospel of Mary, and it'll be interesting to see what he comes up with. Um, I'm a little disappointed that he's not including my favorite line from the Gospel of Mary, which goes something like, uh, do not lay down any rule beyond what I determined for you, nor promulgate law like a lawgiver, or else you'll be dominated by it. I guess that might be hard to put to. <laughs> kind of hard to put that into so on. <laughs> I guess looking lovingly into Jesus' eyes really easy or something like that. But but this, I mean, this, for us here, this community that uh, looks at some of the lost uh, Christian writing, so to speak, some of the first, second century things that were being said and and uh, embodied and then had to be hid away so they weren't totally destroyed. Um, anyway, so it, it, it's exciting for us because we have some in-house people like uh, Katie Ketchum who's done a cabaret on um, Mary Magdalene and uh, she should have probably written the opera, but, you know, you have to have the patrons and you have to have the persons uh, to connect you with this kind of thing. Right, but anyway, right. so we're, we're looking forward to doing um, some uh, participatory studies and art sharing and, and music uh, so that when some of us go to the opera, we, we can uh, compare notes, so to speak. <laughs> Sounds like so much fun. You know, I feel like down here in L.A. I am in a wasteland because everything mm. happens up there in, around San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> you have some wonderful things down there, and, and you certainly have the power of the goddess so strong. Oh uh, well, you true. Can do that. Well, I'm I'm yes. just going to have to make more rides up to San Francisco, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, 
Well, well, Pastor Stacy, thank you so much uh, for being on the show tonight and for all you do. I mean, her church is just an awesome place, and I would recommend any of my listeners, if you're anywhere near the vicinity of San Francisco, you have to put on your itinerary to go to her church and check it out and, you know, just check out this cutting-edge uh, you know, liturgy and church service and everything they're doing there because that's the future. I hope so. And can I just uh, share one quick thing with you? Oh, absolutely. Go right ahead. And all um, when people go to our, our website to to see things about the mural, there'll be a, a um, link with a YouTube video and pictures of the progress of the mural and the song that the they will hear the music is written by one of our members, Allison Newvine, with uh, Dion Kohler, our growing priestess. Let me just share these words that they wrote uh, for the mural. It's, paint us into being, your brush stroke gives us life, sing us into being, with the drumbeat we arise. Out mm. of the depths of the blue sea, roll the waves of the sweet earth, I see her body before me opening wide as she gives birth. Grandmother wise, you are watching. Your hands and your eyes are upon us. Like the child in your arms, we are listening. Patient and loving, you guide us. Let flow from our depths what's been waiting, this ancient power within us, sustaining, destroying, creating. We radiate love and justice. Mm. And I think that's the intent of our mural as well. Oh, wow, that is so powerful. It was giving me goosebumps. <laughs> no, good. <laughs> oh, that's 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 incredibly powerful. That's beautiful. And what a wonderful uh, note to, you know, end the show on. I felt like that was just a beautiful prayer. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stacey. Well, we um, appreciate and, your work and then hearing from us as well. Thank you. Uh, well, you know what? We're all just doing our little part, and uh, you know, and we're all threads on the tapestry. So I, I, you know, I, I want to thank you too, um, Stacy, because you know you've been very kind and generous with me, you know, just as uh, Selena has been, and um, you know, and, and, it, and it means a lot. I'm, you know, always here for you. If there's anything I can ever do to help you, you just let me know. I certainly will. Thank you, Karen. Oh, you're welcome, and have a wonderful holiday, and I look forward to seeing you there at uh, her church just as soon as I can. Absolutely, you too. All right, good night. Good night. Well, listeners, um, wow, uh, I hope you enjoyed tonight's show, uh, these two fantastic women doing fantastic work out there in the world. And as we come to the close of tonight's show, I want to tell you next week uh, we will have Jeanette Clancy on the show. Uh, you might have heard me mentioning uh, in the conversation with Pastor Stacy, uh, she's going to be returning, and uh, she's going to talk about the consequences of sexist God talk. Uh, it would be very interesting. I think we sort of take our words for granted, and we don't realize how powerful our words are and the effect of our words. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. And uh, following Jeanette, we're going to have Greg uh, Kreisberg on, and we're going to be talking about the mysteries of the ancient past, exploring the evolution of human consciousness, civilization, and technology. And before I go, I want to remind you of Dr. Emmanuel Bronner's quote that I picked up at the Green Festival a few weeks ago. He said, Constructive capitalism is where you share the profit with the workers and the earth 
from which you made it. And, of course, we can't forget what Mother Nature teaches us. What you nurture and tend to, well, it survives and thrives, and what you neglect withers on the vine. So please, uh, listeners, uh, if you can, send donations to uh, Pastor Stacy for the, the mural project. And uh, remember, too, our show is looking for a like-minded sponsor, and we do do commercials. So good night, my dear friends, fans, family, and colleagues. May Goddess embrace you in her golden wings. And uh, to close out tonight's show, uh, because we have a little bit of time, which is uh, not often, I'm going to let you listen to Alea Deo's Angel Healing. Good night, and until next week, have a wonderful holiday period. Happy holidays. Mm-hmm.